With roughly 2,000 audiobooks to his name, our guest today has been delighting listeners for over 20 years. So today we welcome three-time Audie Award winner for Best Audiobook Narration, George Goodell. Welcome, welcome. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you guys. It's just, you know, it's an amazing feeling to know that there are people out there who actually listen. <laughs> yeah, yes. Lots of us. You know, most people think it's not important, but it's so important to me to hear from people and, and know that you're all out there. Otherwise, I'm reading to myself, which is not really any fun. <laughs> Great day, because I just finished a new one called Oath of Loyalty. Oath of Loyalty, oh, yes. wow. Exciting. And it is, it is terrifically written, let me tell you. Yes. Just touches on the world we're living in right now in terms of the great separation and authoritarianism and left wing and right wing. Listen to this. This is written by uh, somebody very famous. I'm not going to tell you who. But listen to it in terms of today's world, which the Vince Mitchrap book is about. Listen, at what point then is the approach of danger to be expected? I answer, if it ever reach us, it must spring up amongst us. It cannot come from abroad. If destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we must live through all time or die by suicide. Now, could that have be written today? It sounds like Thomas Paine almost. It's Abraham Lincoln. Oh, okay. oh wow. There we go. 1838. Wow, right? that is for the war. so prescient for today. It's so apt. Yeah. That's my point. And, he, and, and um, he just he brings it to a point where uh, you say, gee, you've got to stop reading for a second and say, right. hey, this guy knows what he's writing about. Yeah. Have you done much historical work or any sort of historical documents or speeches that you've recorded? Let me tell you. Uh, I've just, I think I just passed 2,000 books. So um, there's a good thing about that, and there's a bad thing about that. The good thing about it is that I'm here doing it. Yes, that's awesome. Open doors for me that I would never have thought possible in terms of knowing things. But the other thing about it, which is interesting, is that I don't think anything has changed mm. from the early days to now. I think I, I have formed the opinion because of all the stuff that I've read that the human animal is just that, a human animal. And it's the alpha people and the beta people and the delta people. And if you don't like it, we'll chop up your bodies and kill you. Um, right. Happens. You know, the, the, um, it's, it's amazing because the, the eye of hope that Mitch Rapp brings us, yes. even though it's fable, even though it's, it's nearly possible, but not nearly. But that keeps us alive, and, and uh, that, that eye of hope gives us a feeling that things might be able to work out well if we, if we have guys like him, or spreading it around if we have politicians and, and people that believe in life instead of death. It's amazing. So the, the thing I've been doing for 20 odd, 30 odd years is talking a lot about human beings. Right. There's beauty in our lives, beauty, some books that nobody's ever heard of that are beautiful. 
they talk about the human dilemma of being good, being bad, making a choice, making a decision, love, not love. We still can do it if that time was there, if, uh, if we could open our eyes and see. That's all the preaching I'm going to do. It's, uh, it's to, I'm trying to impress on you that people who will be listening to this, they hear somebody who is a storyteller who tells stories. That's what I do. Yep. But, that's, uh, that's a fantastic <laughs> philosophy because we found with these thriller books, a lot of people just take them to the beach, read them, put them away. But someone like a Vince Flynn or a Kyle Mills is hitting on something deeper, as you're saying, themes of truth, honor, justice, beauty. That's right. Yeah. Well, how about you take us through a day in the life? What is it like working in this industry? Because many of us have no idea what goes on behind the scenes. Well, let me tell you about the nature of what I do also. Um, people come up to me a lot of times and say, how do I record a book? I, I had a good voice and, and I think I can do it. Too many people look on this as reading out loud. That's the furthest thing away. You couldn't be further from the truth of this. What it is, is a change of an art form and changing a written art form into the spoken art form. So what, how, what is that process? The process means that the narrator has to get into the empathic nature of the material, the feelings of it all. And you have to believe that the narrator, even though it's exposition, even though it says it's a rainy day today and clouds are falling, he has to be saying that for a reason, not just to inform you of the fact. So I, I always like to say exposition is character. If you're going to say that the book starts with the sun was shining bright, and the little boy jumped down the stairs and ran to the corner to get something in the grocery store. You can get that reading a book. You don't need an area. But if you say, Sunday, and a little boy jumped down the porch and ran to the grocery store, you picture something happening, not right. acts being laid to you. That's the major secret of any, any narrative. And when that happens, that emotionality, that feeling, whether you're talking about, I'm going to kill you now, you son of a gun, or it's a beautiful day, whatever you're saying, that emotionality is shared by the listener. So he just doesn't get information. He's getting an empathic rendition that gives it an immediacy when he's listening to it. So it's as if it's happening then. Even though right. the narrator is saying he ran fast and he ran through the woods, He's got to feel that running fast and feel that running through the woods. If he doesn't, then he's just going to put you to sleep. You know, you can't, there's no reason to listen to it. So as an actor, I mean, I'm an actor since my early 20s. That's my training. My training is to, is to read a script. And what's his character feel like? And why is he saying this? Why is he sitting down? Why is he standing up? What's behind it? What's behind the words? One of the things, best things that's ever said to me from authors is, gee, George, I never, I didn't even know I wrote it that way. That's a great compliment because I took his stuff and made it ours, not mine, made it ours because you shared it with me. So uh, that's, that's what it should be about. 
So that's what I am. I'm, I'm a, I'm a hermit crab skulking along the bottom of the ocean, finding my truth in someone else's imagined truth. It's an imagined truth, but it's an, it's true, but it's imagined. So that's that's the feeling that I've been. Now, I wake up in the morning, get my coffee, my bagel, and I go to my closet. And so my movement with the pandemic, I moved the studio into my house. I have a very large closet. And I bought the stuff I needed to get microphone and soundproofing. And I now do it from my home, mm. which makes oh, nice. it more convenient than anybody germs to mess around with. Right. So I, I'm thinking of um, writing my autobiography, calling it My Life in the Closet with my imaginary friends. <laughs> <laughs> Happy so, to be one of those friends. Yeah, well, thanks. And now you are. So Thank you. And when people write to me, when they, when I don't get mail all the time, which I love, it puts them in the studio with me. And I tell them, there's a place, if you send me a message, how, whatever the book is, even if you don't like the book, if you send them a message, I didn't like what you did, it puts you there with me. And those are my imaginary friends listening to me. So that's the nature. I was, I was an actor for several years. And at one point, I was rehearsing a play with a friend of mine every day after rehearsal. And he wouldn't be with us when we got a couple of beers or you know, just talk about the rehearsal. So I asked him, where, where are you going? And he said, I'm, I'm going to record a book. I said, how do you do that? And at that point, he was talking books, which is Books of the Blind, with the Library of Congress. And uh, I said, how do I do that? We gave him this man's name. And at those days, before you were born, there were real tapes, not discs or digital stuff. So I made a what they call a demo reel of a few readings, and I sent it to this guy. No answer. I kept, you know, and you do the follow-up letter, and the follow-up phone call, and the follow-up letter. I was in my 20s. Never answered. Never answered. I only about two years. And then I just stopped. And at that point, I was taking over a Broadway play called Chapter 2. This guy comes backstage and says, Gee, Miss Brill, what's going on here? I'm about to record a book. And I said, Well, it's how he introduced himself. And then it's a guy I was sending my tapes to. The guy had never answered. I could have gone two ways. <laughs> I could have raised my fist and said, You son. But I didn't want to do it. I said, Why, well, sure, I loved you. So um, that was my beginning in talking books of the line. And um, it was just a gig between plays, mm. change plays. Okay. I didn't have any idea what it was. That was in 1970, somewhere around there. What was the next yeah. step then to knowing that this was something that would be the a passion step, for you? Okay. The next step was um, they kept me at the blind, kept giving me books, westerns, all the time. And I said, I, mean, I can do other things other than westerns. And so I tried me out. Other books, and one day the studio manager, this time we had seven studios in the studio working, um, came in and knocked on my door and said, uh, There's a library in Summit, New Jersey, that wants to know if any narrators do library programs. And we weren't doing it, we had never even thought of that. And she looked at me and said, Would you like to do a library program? <laughs> so I said, Yeah, how much? And <laughs> said, Give me a number. Yeah. Well, he gave her a number. 
And she came back and kind of said, they said, yes. So I had this gig to go to. I had no idea what I was doing. I was a little library in Summit, Missouri. So I put a few things together, some sample readings and some, you know, cab, and uh, went to this little library. There were like 300 people in this little room, standing, wow. sitting, leaning against the wall. And when I came in, it was like a, a rock star. It, oh, wow. it just surprised Alan. And from their comments, and when I read stuff for them, they were so grateful. It, it, it wasn't a question of, see, you're, you're great, you're famous. It was a question of thank you for, for doing that for us. Yeah. And I said, there's got to be something in this. So I created a program called the Art and Artifice of Audiobook Narration. And for several years, I toured the country. And every place I came in, it was an incredible experience for me. A number of people, and from great books to bad books. You know, I'm not an arbiter of taste. I just try to make whatever I'm reading work. Sure. And from the best books to the worst books, these people were so grateful for it. And that's, that process made me realize that this is something much more than entertainment. It is entertaining, but it's something much more because it brings some very heavy, deep literature yeah. to people who would never have read it. Right, and right. They, they experience it. And people who listen to Les Miserables and they never read the book. So it's a thick volume. But they loved it after the was on Broadway and it's a famous uh, show. It becomes available for them in a way that they never thought possible, only because they shared it with me, because they read it to me. You know what I'm saying? So that's when it became a serious thing. Too. Then what happened was, at one point in my career, I was getting tired of doing the lawyer, the judge, the father. And you can see me on law and order. I'm always a father who's going to get straight. Oh, and I was getting tired of that. So say, look, if you guarantee us a number of recorded hours, We'll guarantee you a paycheck. Wow. Okay. So that's cool. There it is. That'd be nice. So that's what I did. It allowed me to say no. It allowed me to say no to a lot of properties, a lot of plays I didn't want to do, and no to some stuff I didn't care for. And then it became like a rolling snowball down and up. It became more, and books became more important, more important. And I'll tell you, man, I, I love this, what I do. It makes me feel that I'm contributing in a way that's that's special what was the biggest shift or lesson that you've learned you know through your voice acting career i'll tell you, you know, the people call this voice acting you know it's a thing as voice acting it's acting. Oh, sorry acting you no know, i'm not from you but people i'm a voice actor i've heard people say i'm a voice actor you know, voice act what does that mean you can act with your body or your arms or I, I, it doesn't make sense to me so it's um it's performing Actually, right. performing a book, and that's in order to do that, you have to be honest with yourself. And the feelings that you portray have to be real, imagined feelings about real, imagined things. That's what I mean by imagined truth. The truth has to come out, even though it's it's about a story. What's right. one of the biggest challenges? Because those stories are not really your own at first. They are the work of another author, another mind, another imagination, and you've been tasked or you've been given this 
platform that you now have to take someone else's ideas and imagination. Do you feel like you are putting your own spin on it or are you just facilitating? Challenge is when the book sucks. Not a bit trap. I'm not arbitrary taste, but I have my own taste. But this right. is what I do. I do books. So we get this book that really is no reason for trees to be chopped down. But it's my job to make it work, right? Right. There are two things that keep me going in terms of things that I've listened to or heard. One is, is a line from Hamlet, which is, the center of the one must overweigh a whole theater of others. And you have to pray to that one guy who thinks you're phony. That's the guy you have to convince because the others are already there. So it's that one guy, and you know that one guy knows his stuff, doesn't like what you're doing, and you gotta make it work. So you aim for the best person in the audience, right? The second is, I was doing a soap opera once, and um, I didn't care for it. It was just, it was a soap opera. There was a very professional guy whom I liked, came up to me and said, hey, Goodell, you don't like what you're doing. And I said, not really. It's crap. I don't know. You know what a professional is? And I said, yeah, a professional is somebody who gets paid for what they do. He said, no, that's not what a professional is. A professional is somebody who loves what they do, even when they don't love doing it. And he just blew my head. And that's never left me. Mm. I don't love what I'm doing. I ain't there. And, and I've got to be there to do it. So those are the two things that carry me through for time. Good lessons. The difficult yeah. books are challenging. It makes it um, really worthwhile. I remember it's a book called Gravity's Rainbow. On its pension, I had to have a compendium next to me that explains what he was doing because I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. But we did it, and then an amazing experience. The same thing with James Joyce. Uh, the heavy books aren't there. Uh, it's a challenge to me. It's personal because I was not a big reader in college. Had too much fun to do that. So <laughs> came out and. I left college in my senior year. I'd be accepted to medical school and want to go there. And uh, they came to New York to be an actor. So it's um, and beginning to read and feel what's in the book. I mean, I can give you a list of stuff to listen to that are amazing experiences. But you never really know that because of the other hype. It's, it's not a bestseller doesn't mean it's the best book. That's mm. right. you sell a lot of copies and it's popular. But there are a lot of books that um, that I've done that I'm happy that I've done. And oddly enough, Kyle uh, Nelson's one. He's a good writer. Okay. He's a very good writer. And even though he's writing a formula book, and, and I think he's, I think he um, maintains a very high level of quality in, in terms of writing credit. His dialogue is excellent. His, his exposition is terrific. I have no qualms about that. Other people say, ah, it's just a filler. It's not just a filler. You better listen to it from all sides. Hey, did you notice a shift from covering Vince's work from Vince Flynn's days to Kyle Mills? It's the same characters, a lot of them, and the same universe. But was there anything in the style of writing or the way you had to deliver the books that you recall changing? Or 
do you have a similar approach to to all of the novels in this genre? It's the same thing. It's it's the same thing. The the uh, style is very much Vince Hunt's style. That's why he's doing it. There isn't much difference in style. I've noticed a, a more intense feeling and that's really uh, grounded in the action of the book. I think he's very honest. He is very honest to Vince Flynn's characters. At the same time, he's honest to what he sees in the world, not necessarily what somebody else sees. And I respect him for that. He, he, does, a, he does a terrific job. It's, the other day, as he reminded me, I was uh, sitting in an office with my wife in a doctor's office and I was getting her a cup of coffee and I brought her the coffee and I said, here's a coffee that didn't have any sugar. And the woman next to her said, I know that voice. Oh, I wow. Nice. And a smile. That's all I said. So I mean, it goes deep into people's bodies. They know what they're listening to. It's, just, it's amazing. Now, have you heard, have you listened to all of uh, Vincent's books? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep. You must know the characters inside and out, right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Both at the same time. How did the two of you meet? We have a hundred hours of episodes that we recorded just discussing and, and reviewing the books. And almost every single one of them, we mentioned your narration. And yes. we kind of saw throughout the whole series how you were just a real steady force and you knew every character whether it's the first book or the 21st book, they were the same voice in such a consistent, Boy. clear manner that kept the universe very standard, you know, over decades. Yeah. And, and we would, we would get unhappy when uh, either, either you couldn't do a book or, or some scheduling, you know, well, there was one, there was one that they didn't do that got somebody else. Man, did they get it? The publisher oh, wow. Inundated letters and stuff like that. And then it said, Oh, Kyle Mills and, doesn't know me, answered some fans saying, well, perhaps Mr. Cordell is a little older now and, and he's, he's resting or um, maybe he's giving it up because I wasn't doing that book for some reason. And, I'm like, I don't know. and man, I, I wrote Tom as a letter. Wow. I have not given it up, fella. I'm here. They didn't pick me. <laughs> it must have been some business. Yeah, it must have been something on the business end, right? I have no idea why. My voice may have gotten older now, but so has Mitch Rapp gotten older. I've enjoyed that piece. I really have because Mitch is getting older. Kyle's had to grapple with him figuring out, you know, can he keep up what he's doing? And I thought that going along with your narration has just been really fitting to the character and his place in the universe. But I was conscious of doing this one that I felt that my voice was a little different. I'm not sure it is, but because it goes through EQing, they call it, it goes through the editing process and they squeeze it together. So it's not really the way I sound totally, but I noticed two things. He is aware of his age and it sounds like he, it seems like he's drinking more. <laughs> That's true. Yes. That's a good yes, point. He is. Craft he's beer. A, a, a beer and not only beer, but and he drinks the hard stuff with Irene in this book. That's true. Pours himself a couple of shots. So I, wow. that's, I never noticed that before, but he, he's starting that. Well, the president, the cooks, and the president and his wife will definitely drive you to drink. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. That's some great scenes together. That's some great stuff between 
the president and and Mitch and uh, Catherine and Mrs. Cook and Irene. Can't wait. How long does it typically take you to record a book like this? Do you sit down and bang it all out and you know? I, I start around three in the morning, and I stop around three thirty or four o'clock. Okay. Time out for lunch and gabbing with the engineers. I work with two engineers. Okay. One of whom lives about 125 miles away, and the other one lives in the direction. Everything is on digital now, which is great. And um, in that time, the good narrator will usually do one hour of recording for two hours of studio time. Okay. So okay. the two hours you spend, you end up with one hour of actually recording something, you make mistakes, you talk about other things, and so you, and you come back to it. Sometimes, now that I'm in the house, I have lawnmowers and leaf blowers driving me crazy right. because on the top of a scene, it's this whirring motor coming. Got to stop recording. Right. The order. studio, I presume, wouldn't have had that issue when you were actually in well, the office. Well, have a little because a little. it was a different, but they did have an industrial lawnmower because it was a big building. And that we had to stop too. But I bought something called an Indo, which is a window that you insert in your window frame and it's especially especially treated vinyl hmm. that's transparent but it blocks out about 90 percent of the sound wow and oh wow huh. google indo and you'll see what it means that's good to know check that yeah. out and d-o-w it's incredible i'm not i'm sound of sounds hmm. i was very pleased with this book because because it touched this this world so lightly but you can't help but say hmm that sounds like what's happening today. And that's what Boy Lincoln's thing was so prescient. And we knew it had to be us doing it to ourselves. Left, right, divisions, nobody's voting for anything. What do you do for a living? I'm a scientist and Mike's a geography teacher. Wow. What, do you, what science do you teach? Uh, I, I work at an industrial biotech company. I, I, study, I study microorganisms. Wow. He's going to. He's gonna, you know, of course, us to get sick. He's gonna yeah. drop Chris is the he's the doctor of the podcast, Doctor Chris over here. <laughs> I had a question coming from a geography and social studies background. What's your approach to international names or words in other languages? Because the kids, I teach middle school. I'll just tell them, do the best you can. I'm not really sure how to say it. I don't think that would go in your line of work. No, no, it doesn't. I have to know that what I'm saying. Is corrected here. A couple of things on, on, on the internet that helped me out. One is called Yuglish. Yuglish. Hmm. Say any word that you in, that you doubt and you know the pronunciation, and you enter it. And if it has ever been said by anyone, you will hear it said. Wow. Oh, nice. Some foreign names, foreign place names. You'd be surprised how many times somebody says that for some reason or other. Other foreign names and place names and people names. The fact also there is something called forvo. You enter a word and you'll hear three or four pronunciations by people who contribute their languages to vote. Oh, okay. If none of that works, I send it out to whatever source I can find. I do um you know the Craig Johnson though long line? Great series to get into to he's a terrific writer. Craig okay. Johnson's Western but it's a modern Western. He's a sheriff in Wyoming, and he has a knockdown lady who's his deputy. It's the filthiest mouth in the West. She's the only one that curses in the book. 
she's from Philadelphia, and a lawyer daughter, and his best friend is a Cheyenne Indian who they were in Vietnam again. And these are the main people that go through these stories. Great writing, terrific writing. And you might want to try to go for that. He, he gives me Cheyenne language. Ain't nobody knows Cheyenne language around here. Right, that's so tough. I call them Cheyenne University. There's a couple of universities out in the West. And then they come back to me. I give them words and give it to them too. How about regional accents? Do you get anything from listeners about the regional accents? Usually I got a good ear. Okay. As an actor, I've got a pretty good ear. There's a few accents I don't do because I don't do well. I can't do a cockney correctly. Um, okay. There's a lot of other, especially Western, Southern, Indian, um, Russian, European. Most of the times I can fake my way through sometimes. And nobody, sometimes you, you think you've got it all down. Uh, you hear Tony Hillerman? Tony Hillerman was a Western writer who wrote of Navajo mysteries about the Navajo police and a great series also. In fact, this guy Hillerman was Craig Johnson's mentor when Johnson oh, okay. was becoming a writer. Hillerman wrote about the Navajo Indians and the mysteries and murder mysteries there. But um, there's one thing in one of his books. Well, I got a letter back from this guy out in Nevada saying, boy, I like Mr. Riddell's work so much, but the most egregious mistake he's made it's not placer, it's placer mining. He says, stop oh. placer mining. There's a placer county in Nevada. And not only did Mr. Goodell make that mistake, but all the other people in the book make the same mistake. Wow. So I sent him back a letter saying, thank you very much. And I will tell everybody else in the book to not say that. <laughs> I'll reach out to the other characters. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I know this is probably an impossible question to answer, but since you've read over 2000 works, but do you have like a favorite book or a favorite series that you just can't wait? And besides, besides Mitch Rapp, this, not, this series by Craig Johnson and the Walt Longmire series, great, great story. Tony Herman series or the Marvels. Um, there's another one that got me going this series way back called the Cat Who series. It's the cat who solved mysteries, the cat who loved Brahms, the cat who loved piano playing, the cat who loved each one, written by this lady from Michigan, Lillian Jackson Brown, and the studio manager came over to me and said, would you like to do this book? And I said, no, it's junk, I don't want to do that. It's the Siamese cats to solve mysteries? Wait a minute, let's try it once. I tried it once. And People came back. They loved that book. And it really was, I found out, I was so wrong. It was so charming. The worst things in the world happened to this city, in this little town up north Michigan. Arson, rape, burglary, nobody cared. Because they all wanted to hear the cats meow. And the cats touching the book, whose title began with a B. And the cat's owner, it's a B. Is it a B? The murderer starts naming a B. And the cat would go, wow. And that people would love it. So, <laughs> 20 something of those. And it's still a popular series. People love that. They love oh, wow. it. It's funny. It's great people. But there the whole go. thing, I want people who listen to this to realize the nature of what it is we as narrators do. Mm-hmm. The nature is to make you share in an experience, not just know the experience. Yeah. 
if, right. that, if that reader makes you say, mm, oh boy, uh, oh, how, how sad, then you and that reader have an empathic relationship. And an empathic relationship between two people, you've got a relationship going. You don't even know who you are as a narrator. But they feel it, right. they know you that well. That's a great point because I've even noticed doing this podcast, the books and my experience with the books is so much richer when I talk to Chris about it or we hear from our fans about it. We have a dialogue. And in some ways, that's what I'm doing with you in an audiobook as opposed to yeah, just definitely. sitting and reading it on the page. So it's another access point to share and enjoy the book with someone and it elevates the experience. And that's, and that's an important word, elevating experience, because you're sitting down reading a book and turning the pages, and you see in your mind some stuff going on, and it's interesting to you. But if you're listening to it, it's happening to you, which is quite a different kind of thing. Yeah. Well, speaking of the people listening to these, being the voice of Mitrap has meant so much to thousands and thousands of people. Uh, well, we can tell you, George, we get feedback every time we read a book. Have you heard the, the George Goodell narration? The fans love it and love what you're doing, but no one more so than Sherry. Sherry is a longtime listener. She's a patron who helps support us financially so we can do what we do. And we want to bring her in because uh, Sherry is your biggest fan, believe me, in the entire world. I don't want you to see me, Sherry. It's going to break your image. Sir, I already have pictures of you all over the place in my house. Oh, so no. My, my yes. husband is very jealous. I understand that, yes. Thank you. you. Thank my, you guys so much. My wife used to come with me to these library shows, and she'd hear these ladies say, I just bring George Goodell to bed with me every night to listen to him. <laughs> You've been in bed with more people than anyone else in the world. Have you been listening for a long time? Uh, yes, sir. I will tell you that I am, I am a retired federal agent. And when I was overseas, uh, somebody gave me a subscription to, I think it was audiobooks or Audible. And so the very first Vince Flynn book I ever listened to was Executive Power and you narrated. Wow. And then my first Daniel Silva book, you narrated The English Girl. Um, I think my first Brad Thor book, and I can't remember if it was, I can't remember. State of the, State of the Union? State of the Union, that's what it was. Mm -hmm. um, and in high school, my favorite short story was The Death of Yvonne Elich by Tolstoy. Right. And you narrated that too. So I listened to that a number of times. But oh, that's fantastic. A huge fan. These guys know they're they're so sweet to include me because I think we had talked about getting you on their show. So we, we, it's been a big uh, big goal of uh, ours to get you on. So we're we're, we're happy we, we were able to have you. Sherry's suggestion. That's the reason we reached out to you, George, is because Sherry okay. wanted it so bad. Terrific, yeah. Sherry. Thank you so much. You're welcome, thank sir. You I'm very. I'm telling you, I've I've downloaded. I've even read the Bible because of you. Okay, thank you so much. <laughs> And listen, I think you should read Craig Johnson's series too. Craig Johnson wrote a series with Walt Mogmeyer, the sheriff, and it starts with a book called Cold Dish is the beginning. And as you go through the series, he gets older and a little drunker, and, and it's funny and sad at the same time. He's a great writer. We try that as a new series for you. I will let, me do know that. You, let me know how, he, how you feel about it. I will. And I will okay, tell you so. that 
that I have downloaded my first um, Lillian Brown Jackson. That's the one I was just talking about. Yes, I had never listened to her because you're narrating. I'm going to give it a try. Isn't, isn't that charming? You started it already? No, sir. Um, I'm a thriller person. I mean, these guys can tell you I'm obsessed with uh, Vince Flynn and Brad Thor, Jack Carr, that whole thing, and especially right. Danielle Silver. But I'm trying to broaden my horizons, Mr. Goodell. It's um, I'm 59 years old, so it's about time that I do that, I guess. I'm 143 years old. I do the same thing. The, you, the, look, uh, you look damn good for 143. The Van Jackson Brown is terrific. For whatever is bothering you, listen to that. Nothing matters. It's just pure, pure charm. It's marvelous wow. stuff. You will enjoy it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And you're let me you're welcome. I, I, I'm so flattered. These guys, including me, they're great guys and very smart. And when I mean, I'm, I literally have been telling my husband all day, guess who I get to see? And I, guess who I get to see? He said, I have no idea, but I hope the heck he shows up. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I appreciate yes, it. Thank you, George. Anyone who wants to write me can always write me my email. I answer all my family and I'll be happy to. So uh, thank you for the opportunity. And uh, listen, when you read this, both of all of you, let me know how, how, you, how if we agree on what he's doing with it. Yeah, Sherry, before you joined, George told us that Oath of Loyalty knocks it out of the park and really is in tune with the world we're living in and the dynamics. Wow. It's very different. Wow. It's very real on a very on a very real level. And he's touching a little bit of the kind of world we're living in. A little yeah. bit. Not the same, but it's an, it's an interesting book. I think you're going to enjoy it. Well, I have to tell you that Mitch Rapp does not sound the same in any other voice. So I'm so excited that, that you're narrating. I can only say I'm glad to hear that. I, I didn't know why they picked, didn't pick me for the other one, um, but they, they were punished for it. <laughs> and when we covered it on the podcast, we almost were just down the whole. We just couldn't bring ourselves to get excited. And the other narrator is not necessarily bad. No, Scott Brick. Scott well, Brick, yeah. Scott Brick's whole, good, yep. Yeah. It was just different. Uh, yeah, he's a good reader. He's a good narrator. It didn't feel yeah. right, though. He's he's really you know, good. No, it did not feel right. It just, it just I, felt I, wrong. I've yeah. trained you well. <laughs> <laughs> but you get used to having that when I hear even Irene's voice, I mean, the way you right. change your, your your voice and your tone, and when, when you hear someone else, it's like, hmm, I don't think so. You know, speaking of characters, you mentioned Irene. I feel like Claudia, Claudia's voice really stands out to me with you, George, with being French. And for some reason, I don't know why. I try not to make it very French, just one or two sounds, because then it becomes about the accent. Yeah, it's, it's not a very accent. light. It's a very it's light nuanced. touch, but it's nuanced. subtle. Yeah. yeah, it's there, though. So every time you know it's her. I hope that that works in this because she does. And great things in this. I really enjoyed this book. It's, it's really nice. So read it and remember Abraham Lincoln's saying. Yes, 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 yes. We'll put yes. that quote right at the front of the interview. Words of wisdom from Abe. Honest Abe. Thanks, guys. Well, guys, it was great sharing time with you all. George, thank you for making it happen. Thank you for calling me back. You were so responsive to my email. And Sherry, we are just so delighted that you finally got to see one of your heroes because you have told us your love for George for years now. <laughs> Thank, you. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Well, call Thank me, Sherry, so anytime. Call me when my wife isn't around so we can have <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. I, I will. I'll, I'll note that down. 
We won't be responsible for that. The podcast has no liabilities for this. So long. Take care. Bye-bye. Right, take care, everybody. Thank you so much. Bye, Sharon. Thank you.